1: Welcome back as we head into Hour 2. The phone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 602 960 That's 602 960 I'll do my uh, official monologue at the top of the next hour. I want to run through some history with you, some interesting history in the conservative movement, the Republican Party, and um, primaries. I want to talk about a few other things, too, uh, that we'll get to in it, having to do with uh, civil liberties and religious freedom and all kinds of things. I'm still kind of consumed by this issue I was talking about at the very beginning of the last hour. Uh, it's all wrapped up in a uh, any number of articles that came out today, but I think the headline at CNN is as good as any, the end of quarantine. What well, people should know about the CDC's new COVID-19 guidelines. And I'll say what I said earlier. Um, Just from the first sentence at CNN last week, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced key changes to its nationwide COVID-19 guidelines. Second sentence among them was the end of required quarantine after someone is exposed to close contact with the coronavirus. There's more. Uh, There's more. The CDC is now no longer um, no longer recommending uh, that you quarantine Uh, if you are exposed to someone who was exposed to COVID-19. Uh, regardless of whether you were vaccinated or not. Whatever happened, it's only a month ago uh, that we were still being told by the CDC that there are areas with high impact and low impact and that you had to adjust your mitigation levels based on whether you were in areas of high impact and low impact and masking rules. Uh, When I said routinely last year and the year before that even, That shows like this and scholars like Jay Bhattacharya were far more correct throughout COVID from day one, far more correct than what the CDC was saying and what, you know, the quote unquote official expert scientists that CNN and the lefties and the panic porn maniacs liked. We were far more right. They had to do far more revising on their side. I mean, off the top of my head, Anthony Fauci changed his position on masks in one year, changed his position on masked masks, changed his position on 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 whether we would have a vaccine and when it would be developed within a year or not. Changed, changed his position on social distancing, changed his position on herd immunity, even admitted to lying to the American people about herd immunity. We can go down the list of things. They changed their position on whether the covid uh, virus could be obtained uh, from surfaces, uh, w- 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 whether it was a fomitic disease or not, whether you could get it from animals. They changed their positions on that. They changed their positions on whether the vaccine was going to protect you from COVID or prevent you from getting COVID or prevent you from getting sick or prevent you from having to go to the hospital. They were wrong about all of that, all of it, all of it. And when they finally came to admit the whole kitten caboodle was off, as they did last week, and regardless of the high-impact area or low-impact area, regardless of whether you lived in Miami or San Francisco, all this quarantine business and isolation business and mask business, done. Done. Vaccine mandate business, mostly done. Mostly done. But certainly the isolation and, uh, and quarantine business doesn't matter, according to the CDC now, whether you are vaccinated or not. All of it is over and done with. And what's interesting to me is they did this last week and most people have no clue. Most people don't know about it. Now, a lot of people don't care because they've moved on with their lives, which is a healthy thing. And I'm glad they have done so. I'm delighted that they did so. I'm delighted we've done so. I would like to think for the most part, I never submitted to this nonsense. I know Bill was even better at it than I was. Um, how was he better at it than I was? I think he was better on – I don't know. He was better at it than I was. Yeah, you were better at it than I was. You were – there was something you did that I – yeah, there was something. I don't remember. I, I think maybe – didn't. well, anyway, I, 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 you, you were better at it than I was, although I think I was pretty, pretty good. In any event, isn't it interesting? that when the CDC says goodbye to all that, it's not a major news story. I mean, it is today, a week later. It's a story today because there was not a lot of interest in them admitting they were wrong or implying that they were wrong. And for those who love to dwell and stew in paranoia and fear— And those who think America is always on the precipice of destruction and that the disease is going to take millions and millions of us out. And those who like to shame their fellow Americans and scare kids to soothe their anxieties, use children to soothe their paranoia, those people, yeah, they weren't interested in in blasting out that the cdc is doing the emily latella thing the never mind thing because the cdc and the panic porn people they sure knew how to put it out there when it was about a mandate and a restriction and shaming they knew how to do that they knew how to never do that mind. yeah what was it never mind the Radner. yes that's what the cdc is saying never mind puerto rico in fact does not want to become a stake And never mind the use of violins, the musical instrument on TV is not a problem. Yeah, that's effectively what the CDC is doing, acting the role of Emily Latella. Now, that's all certainly something we should be upset about. But how about this story over at Fox, if I might? CDC director orders reorganization, saying COVID-19 response did not reliably meet expectations the director of the u.s centers for disease control and prevention on wednesday announced a reset that will focus on making the organization quicker at responding to new health criticism of its response to the covid 19 pandemic cdc's director rochelle walensky told the agency staff about the changes which include internal staffing moves and steps to speed up data releases Quote, for 75 years, CDC and public health have been preparing for COVID-19, and in our big moment, our performance did not reliably meet expectations. My goal is a new public health action-oriented culture at CDC that emphasizes accountability, collaboration, communication, and timelessness. This is shuffling chairs on the Titanic. None of this, none of this goes to the merits of the panic porn that they put us through. None of us goes... Take to, none of this goes to the merits of what they got wrong. It was about communications. It was about a com, it's about not communicating well or clearly or a website that was accessible enough. Here's a way that you could make the CDC's communication and website more useful. Do you remember there was a time it lasted for about mm, six months When the CDC was actually putting on its website, was actually putting breakthrough data on its website. You know what breakthrough data is, right? Breakthrough data is the hospitalizations and illnesses and deaths in people who were fully vaccinated. That is to say, COVID broke through the vaccination and made them sick, hospitalized them or took them out. People who died with the vaccine. With the with the with the with the double vaccine. That was a breakthrough case or a breakthrough covid death for six months. The CDC was reporting it. And then whoosh, the snap of a finger, they stopped. Why did they stop? Because they didn't want you to have the information. Why didn't they want you to have the information? Because, in fact, the vaccine was not doing what they said And promised it would do because, in fact, the vaccine does not completely protect you from hospitalization or from illness or from death. And the numbers were embarrassing to them. They did not want to be embarrassed by the public. Now, thank goodness, certain states, not all, but some states still did report breakthrough infections. And hospitalizations and deaths. And here's why the CDC took it down. I could take any of the number of states. I just like to use Illinois because it's a liberal blue state that's really hardcore on mandates. Okay, I just will take Illinois numbers. Four times the number of all children deaths from COVID was surpassed by adults who were fully vaccinated in illinois that is to say in illinois four times the number in one state alone four times the number of people died who were double vaccinated from covid than all the children throughout the country that's why the cdc didn't want you to know about it in other words they're still lying to you i'm seth Liebson. we'll be right back
0: never mind
1: Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602 Your dollar, obviously, as you well know, every time you go shopping, buys less and less today than it did even a month ago. Paper money continues to be worth less and less due to the inflation situation we find ourselves in. The good news is that gold and other precious metals traditionally hold their value when economies fall and fail, like now. Do you have confidence in the government doing this? I don't. Taking care of this for you? I don't. The Fed is now talking about raising rates even again as we just passed an over $700 billion bill in something called the Inflation Reduction Act. So if you're thinking about protecting your investments, your retirement, your future, or any of your savings with precious metals, call the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of you already own precious metals from the Midas Gold Group, and others of you can as well. MidasGoldGroup.com, that's MidasGoldGroup.com, or give them a call at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000. If I can continue on this COVID issue, you know I often will quote to you from uh, the folks at Issues and Insights. It's a really good website. It was um, started by the... uh, editorial writers at the Investor's Business Daily, IBD. And for those that liked the Wall Street Journal editorial uh, page, IBD was as close to a second best as you could find, and some days even better than the Wall Street Journal itself. So they formed issues and insights. And they're pretty strong over there, and they're pretty good over there. And they had an editorial uh, the other day that the result, titled The Results Are In, Red States Won the COVID Fight Hands Down. Um, one of their readers in the comments section wrote this, quote, you forgot to mention that red states had far higher death tolls from COVID on purpose because you're amoral scum, close quote. I'm guessing that writer, he puts his name down, who knows if it's his real name or not. Charles Ray is what he says. I'm guessing he doesn't know what the word amoral means um, because what he's charging them with is not amoral. It's immoral. He probably is just unaware of what it is he's trying to communicate. But it doesn't matter. The issues and insights folks are um, happy to uh, talk about it. He's, uh, they said the storyline, the Charles Ray comment, has been repeated ad nauseum by leftist corporate media and by those who still believe that mask mandates, lockdowns and various other government efforts to stop COVID actually did work. This gets to the accountability issue. I want to discuss with you a little bit. Um, But here's what they say. And the reason I sometimes go through this with y'all is uh, so you'll have it as well. So you'll know it as well when you engage in your discussions. You know, I still think the most valuable uh, political encounters you can have are with those who you can convert one by one and issue by issue. You can't do it all in one day. You can't usually do it all in a group. But one by one. Issue by issue, you can sometimes has, have success if you know what you're talking about and have the better of the arguments. Anyway, that's why we do this. First, the evidence continues to mount that none of the government interventions I just mentioned made a significant difference. None. In addition, the simplistic accounting of death rates between states overlooks three key COVID risk factors that actually did have significant impact on COVID deaths in each state. The biggest risk factor, far and away, for COVID deaths was age. Nationwide, 75% of COVID deaths were amongst those aged 65 or older, a group that accounts for about 15 or 16% of the population. Well, guess what? So the states with the highest COVID death rates also have a higher than average concentration. Of seniors. So you have to account for that. You have to, in other words, do the work we call or used to call, I don't know if they still use the phrase, we used to call it disaggregating the data. Why does Florida look the way Florida does? Why does Arizona look the way Arizona does? It's not the same population as Washington State, it's not the same population as Idaho. We are huge retirement. Communities. We have huge retirement communities. We are magnets, Florida and Arizona, for retirees, which usually means older population. That's one. They use the example of West Virginia, for example. It has both the fourth highest rate per capita COVID deaths and also, guess what? The fourth highest senior population. In fact, of the 29 states that have higher than average COVID death rates, Of the 29 that have higher than average death rates, 22 of them also had senior populations that were higher than the national average. Second, health status. Second, COVID targets the sick. Data from the Centers for Disease Control show that people who died with COVID, with COVID, okay, remember your prepositions, with COVID, almost always, almost always, over 90% of the time, had other serious or what we used to say were underlying health problems. There have been few COVID deaths among those who were otherwise perfectly healthy. Well, guess what again? The states with the highest COVID death rates also ranked lowest in the nation for overall health before COVID came. To America, take Mississippi as a good example. At the top of the list for COVID deaths per capita, and at the bottom, in terms of overall health, according to any number of studies, including the United Health Foundation, Louisiana, Arkansas, Alabama—no surprises—were also at the bottom of the state's overall health scores before COVID struck. On the other hand, states were there, uh states that were healthier before COVID suffered fewer deaths. Vermont which has the lowest per capita COVID death rate, ranked number one in health of population. So that's two things. What was the age rate in that state? And what was the overall health rate in that state? How many people in that state had underlying conditions? We know people are healthier in some states than in others. And then third racial makeup. CDC also shows the data from the CDC also shows that minorities died from COVID-19 disproportionately. The CDC put it this way, quote, that once infected people from racial and ethnic minority groups are more likely to be hospitalized, be admitted to the ICU and die from COVID-19. Close quote. Turns out that states with higher than average COVID deaths also had larger minority populations. Again, Mississippi. In addition to having the highest COVID death rate, also has the highest percentage of minority of population. In that case, nearly 40 percent of its population is African-American. Alabama is sixth. Tennessee is 10th, which matches up almost perfectly with where they ranked on death rates. Put it all together. and What do you get? A state's COVID death rate almost certainly had nothing to do with who was the governor, who its citizens vote for in presidential elections, or how onerous its COVID policies were, and everything to do with general risk factors such as age, health, and ethnicity. So put that in your tobacco free pipe and smoke it. I'm Seth Leapson, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. Love the company. A friend of mine used them yesterday for a plumbing issue. They came when they said they would. They did what they said they would do. There were no up charges, and it cost my friend less than she was expecting it would. If you have any air conditioning or plumbing needs, I ask you to call CoolTouch as well. CoolTouch.us if you want to go to them on the web, CoolTouch.us. Or give them a call at 623-748-4942. 623 748 too, it's just better and different there at Cool Touch. Uh, Charles Lipson of the University of Chicago. He's an occasional guest, and not yet at the frequent guest level. We'll make him a frequent guest soon, but he's an occasional guest. Uh, has a great piece up at Newsweek on something that has been s- turning around in my head lately, and it's this issue where governors from here, governors from Texas, they're taking the illegal immigrants and sending them to New York City and Washington DC, which all of a sudden went from there's no border problem, there's no illegal immigration problem. In fact, we're going to give the votes to non-citizens of the United States until we made our problem their problem. And so we started busing them. Charles Lipson writes the surest sign that public policies are simply virtue signals is when the messages don't cost anything. The easiest way to tell when that signal starts to fail is to watch politicians flounder as those costs start to rise and voters demand relief. It was free and meaningless for progressive churches to post banners calling themselves nuclear-free zones during the Reagan era. Their dwindling congregations loved it. It was free after the death of george floyd to post woke catechism signs on your front lawn pro- on your front lawn proclaiming things like in this house we believe black lives matter women's rights are human rights no human is illegal and so on maybe the neighbors gave you high fives And for years, it has been free for deep blue cities to proclaim themselves sanctuary cities for illegal immigrants. But that's changing now that voters want some sanctuary for themselves. Changes like this happen when voters realize the old virtue signals actually do entail serious costs and problems that they in the blue states have to live with. That is exactly what's happening in New York City And Washington, D.C. right now, as red state governors are sending a few busloads of illegal immigrants to their blue sanctuaries. These progressive bastions were silent when Biden administration flew plane loads of illegal immigrants to suburban airports in the middle of the night. TV coverage was prohibited and the arrivals were secretly dispersed. Take Governor Abbott's buses. By contrast, they arrived downtown and greeted by local TV Cruz, and now you hear the politicians screech, don't you? Those shrill noises are the sound progressive politicians being squeezed. They proclaim their cities are sanctuaries, but surprise, surprise, they don't actually want more illegal immigrants. Not that they can voice that reservation, of course, given their activist political base. Neither can they support serious efforts to manage the underlying problem by closing the border or even trying to. Doing so would mean a humiliating return to, oh my gosh, Donald Trump's policies like building the wall or requiring asylum seekers to remain in Mexico as their applications are processed or encouraging Mexico's armed forces to deploy along the border to prevent illegal crossings. Biden overturned all that, all of it, to the cheers of his left-wing base. That was when they thought it wouldn't come with a price. Now the costs are mounting, and so are the consequences for progressive politicians. The pushback is coming not from their base, but from disillusioned centrists and independents. Those voters are groaning under the costs associated with this rising tide of illegal immigration, including welfare benefits, social services, schooling for more children, emergency room visits for uninsured patients, and a need for additional police without sufficient tax revenues to pay for all of them. Drug smuggling cartels now find it much easier to cross the border. So these cities also have to cope with more heroin Cocaine and fentanyl on the streets, more hospitalizations, more death from overdoses. It's an ugly picture in these blue states now. Abbott's goal is to squeeze the vice tighter on those politicians to force them to change course on national immigration policy and lessen the flood of immigrants into his state or into his state or else pay the price in their own states. Good for these governors like Ducey and Abbott for doing it. Carrie Lake said something correct the other day. She said it's not a solution. We're taking a problem and infusing it into the rest of the country. She's right about that as a long term, as a short term. Boy, it's sure changing the sound and tone of the mayors of D.C. and New York City, isn't it? I'm Seth and We'll be right back. Welcome back to this. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. It is a delight to welcome to the show Jenny Clark. She is the founder of an organization here called Love Your School, loveyourschool.org, and wants to talk with us about something that um, we did really well here in Arizona when it comes to education. Jenny Clark, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Seth.
1: You bet. Um, First-time guest. I always do this with first-time guests. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit of um, your autobiography, however you want to pitch it, and about your organization.
2: Absolutely. Well, I was born and raised here in Arizona. I went to a public school here, kindergarten through 12th grade, and then on to the University of Arizona. Go Wildcats. (laughs) I have five children right now. Uh, all of whom have benefited from the state's amazing Arizona Empowerment Scholarship Account Program. So I'm very excited to share more about that.
1: Yeah, let's talk about it. You were at the signing uh, that Governor uh, Ducey, uh, when he signed this legislation uh, yesterday, you spoke at it. Uh, Governor said Arizona is now the gold standard for educational freedom in America. We have seen uh, bragging rights to that take place and be concretized uh, as of yesterday officially. Tell us what Uh, took place in that signing yesterday what what was signed into law
2: so house bill 2853 was signed into law and that is the universal expansion of arizona's already extremely successful uh, empowerment scholarship account program we call it esa for short and this program allows families to take 90 percent of the state dollars that are allocated for the education of their, their child. To the education environment that works for them so that can be a private school it can be home education with tutors and therapists you can uh, pay for curriculum and all sorts of educational goods it's a really incredible program and now because of Governor Doug Ducey's leadership and Representative Ben Thoma, uh, every Arizona family starting September 24th will have access to this
1: scholarship one of the uh, criticisms uh, jenny clark one of the criticisms of arizona uh, when it comes to education is that our outcomes are uneven uh, and sometimes it just has to do with uh, the kinds of schools that parents have to send their kids to. Sometimes it has to do with the kinds of monies that are available in certain areas. Now, those problems, those criticisms will have less play and less purchase, right? Because we're going to enter a new environment here where Every American, every Arizona parent, I'm sorry, every parent in Arizona can decide for themselves what school they actually want to send their child to, uh, child to, but they can do so now with a lot more cash available to them to do so. Is that right?
2: That's absolutely right. And in the past, you know, families have really been limited by their income or by their right. zip code right. when it comes to accessing the type of education that many families want for their children. So if a family is in an environment right now and they're saying, look, this just isn't working for my child. Uh, this education environment that they're in is not meeting their unique needs. Before, a lot of those families did not have access to an ESA and they may not have had the resources to do something different. So we really just completely uh, blown up this program and said, you know what? We don't wanna limit families em- anymore. We believe that every child deserves to reach their true potential. And it's really a win for education freedom. But most importantly, it's a win for our kids.
1: Years ago, uh, one of uh, the great superintendents of education we had here, a woman named Lisa Graham Keegan, talked about and I think may have conceived of the phrase of strapping the money we give uh, to schools to the backpacks of the children so that they take that money, that tuition money to the school of their choice. That's effectively what we've done here. We finally made that real.
2: Yep, that's exactly right. And, you know, currently you that has been happening. The money has followed the child. If your child went, you know, from maybe not your locally zoned district school to a different school, the money followed them to that other child. But now we just extended that to its natural, logical conclusion, which is, hey, why should we only say one type of school environment works for a child? Let's go ahead and you know fund students, not systems, and let them take their dollars wherever well, the parents think is best.
1: Yeah, wherever it thinks best. And this could That's be right. this could be a charter school. It could be a public school. It could be a, a, a religious school. Right. It's it's basically given choice in elementary and secondary education in the same manner that something like the GI Bill would give, in a sense, to college students. Right. You can you can take you can take your your GI Bill money. You can take your education loans in college to any school you want any school you want right now we've made that available at the elementary and secondary level
2: that's exactly right and you know we think about it this way too we've got all these different government programs you know food stamps for example right and nobody says you can only use those dollars at this grocery store and nowhere else of course not we all realize how crazy that is uh you mentioned the gi bill pell grants right we'll all be doing this in so many other ways it's really just catching up to what's already been happening uh, in so many other areas of our lives, but now we're having it for our kids and their education.
1: Now, you and I and a lot of people uh, think this is a new day and a new great day in education. Uh, There are groups that will not think that, uh, primarily in in the teachers' unions uh, nationally and even locally. Do you expect to see some litigation over this legislation?
2: Oh, well, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some litigation. I mean, we already kind of know. Uh, how a lot of those kind of anti-parent, anti-school choice groups uh, like to act when uh, families finally have some freedom to do what works best for their kids. So, you know, we'll probably see something. We already are seeing them trying to refer this uh, uh, to the ballot. And, uh, you know, we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens. But all I know is that I'm over here running Love Your School. We've got our chats, our Instagrams, our socials going crazy with parents going, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited tell me how to sign up. So I think we're at a very interesting place right now. Uh, in American history and in Arizona when it comes to parents' needs and wants for their child's education.
1: Nicely put. Let me give a plug to your organization, too, Love Your School, the website loveyourschool.org, loveyourschool.org. You say on your website, if you are looking for some one-on-one help for your family, we've got you covered. Yeah, you will help people and parents negotiating this if they're interested in, in taking advantage of this new ESA, right?
2: Yep, absolutely. We also help parents look for other options. You know, ESA is not the only option. Lots of other school choices.
1: Perfect. Well, Jenny, thank you. I I, I love this introduction uh, and uh, this appearance uh, on our show for the first time. I hope it can be a down payment and we can come back to you and you can come back to (laughs) us as we discuss how this is working and any other education issues you see and want to flag for us. That sounds wonderful. I'd love to come back. You betcha. Uh, folks, again, loveyourschool.org. Jenny Clark is the founder and executive director, also blessedly a member of the State Board of Education, recently appointed to the Arizona State Board of Education. So along with that, along with um, uh, uh, along with this new ESA law, along with some of the elections uh, at the local school board races that a lot of people are now taking interest in, finally, I think we're finding... We're going to be in a very new age very soon when it comes to the education and nurturing of our children. And what could be more important? God knows we put them through enough bad education outcomes is, yeah, one of the things we've been measuring. We're starting to measure a lot of other things, mental health outcomes as well. But now, thanks to this legislation, the parents can decide what schools they want for their families based on what decisions the families think are best for their kids. Imagine that. We mandate education in this state, but we no longer mandate that you have to go to the school in the neighborhood you were born into. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. The first national political leader um, who promoted school choice was Ronald Reagan's Secretary of Education, William Bennett, in the 1980s, and it took a long time to get there. The problem, he wrote way back when, is not only that some schools fail parents' expectations, but also that such schools cannot be held accountable by those they are supposed to serve. We've been talking a lot about accountability here lately. Accountability could be improved, will be improved, were parents, he said, able to choose different schools, a better school for their children. And unfortunately, the majority of American parents did not back then have the freedom to make those choices. They still don't, though some do, and now all of Arizonans do. The affluent, could always buy into the school of their choice by buying a house in the neighborhood of their choice or being able to afford private schools if that's what they wanted. But the great majority of Americans aren't wealthy and may not be wealthy, though they too are heirs to a great promise, which is American education. And the promise of American education, ironically enough, was the promise to help people do better in life, particularly if you were an immigrant or if you were lower down on the economic scale. It was through education that you could achieve, and yet it was of those populations amongst those populations that had the least amount of choice. True, serious education reform, Bill Bennett said, requires three C's, a focus on content, focus on character, and a focus on choice, each one reinforcing the other. Thank you, state legislature. Thank you, people like Jenny Clark. And thank you, Governor Ducey, for making that a reality here.